Thank you, Nigel and Cheryl. Good morning. Don't worry, I haven't got COVID on my COVID test. It also told me I'm not pregnant either, so I've got no two lives, no plus. So all is good with that. But it's good to be with you today. It's good to worship God together, isn't it? Yeah, it's good to be here and to praise and to have different aspects of worship when we're singing together of celebration and of just reflection. So it's good to be in worshiping as a community today. For all of us, there are there are things that we should be doing that reality is we don't. I think that's for all of us. Maybe for you it's, it's eating fruit. You know you should eat more fruit and more vegetables every day, but chocolate and biscuits go so much better with a cup of tea or a coffee, <laughs> don't they? Maybe you know you should be walking a little bit more each day, but it's a lot easier to take the car or to just not even bother leaving the house and sit in front of the TV in a chair. Whenever I go to the dentist, I hate the dentist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up in the, the 70s. I know some of you grew up a little bit before the 70s, but we used to call my dentist the butcher and it just, it just kind of, I still carry that today, you know? And I hate going to the dentist. Whenever... I go to the dentist, they always say, oh, you need to go and see the dental hygienist. I'm sure it's not just a ploy to get me to spend an extra £65, but it sure feels like it at times. And every time I go and see the dental hygienist, she asks me the same questions. You are flossing every day, aren't you? All those little tiny little toothbrushes that you put between the gaps of your teeth. What colours do you use? I just say all the colours of the rainbow. I think I'm going to hit it at some point. I'm going back there in about a month's time and she'll ask me the same question. Are you using the little toothbrushes every day and what colours are you using? I'm colour blind. I don't know what I'm using. I'm just using these little things. And my honest answer will be I'm using them most days. Which can range from I do it every day to I've done it once since I last saw you three months ago. But these things I know I should be doing. Now, last September, we had a vision Sunday where I shared with the, the whole church what the elders, as, as what we felt God was speaking to us, and we shared this vision <clears throat> of seeking to make Jesus the heart of everything that we are in our lives. And while we may know this, and we may know this to be true for us, or at the very least, we're trying for it to be true for us. We may also know that things will change for people who don't know Jesus when they also know that and make Jesus the heart of everything in their lives. But the question is, how do we think it's going to happen? You know, it's all very good to have a a catchy vision, but, but it will only have any chance of becoming a reality for the others in our town if you and I share Jesus with them. Because if we don't tell people about Jesus, who is going to? If we draw alongside them and we are intentional about sharing our faith with them, then they have a chance of, like us, being intentional about making Jesus the heart of their lives. We may all be able to quote the Great Commission about going into all the world and making disciples of all people. 
on our church website, we say these words, we believe in living out our Christian faith as effectively as possible, making an impact with those who do not know the great news about Jesus Christ. Amen to that? So how are we doing that? (laughs) How are we we doing with that? We know that our mission is to enable everyone else to experience Jesus in the way that we experience Jesus. But for all of us, the questions are first, are we doing that? Like the the tiny little toothbrushes. I may know it's good to share my faith with others, but it means nothing if I'm not actually intentionally doing it. And then secondly, not just are we doing it, but how do we do this? As As a church, we've spoken about how we should be doing everything we can to enable people to be intentional about Jesus being the heart of their lives. And you might say, yeah, Wayne, that, that, that's great, I, I agree with you, but how do I actually do it? Because you might think to yourself, I'm not trained in evangelism. I don't feel skilled in sharing my faith like others do. How do I share the great news of Jesus with other people? Last Monday, I was invited to, the, the after, to lunch at the Rotary Club and I was the after-lunch speaker. They were really scraping the barrel, so they got me there. I think the other ten people that they asked had decided that they couldn't do it, so they asked me. A great opportunity, and and I've never been to a Rotary meeting, club lunch, so I asked around somebody that does go there, who is a person of faith, "What, what kind of things do you share at such an event? And she said, well, just share your heart, share your faith, share your story. They want to know who you are. So I thought, brilliant, this is an opportunity for me to share my Christian faith. And so in my, my message, I included my, my testimony, how I came to faith. And for me, that happened at a Billy Graham evangelistic meeting back in 1984 in Ashton Gate. Yes, they allowed Welsh people into that as well. But over lunch, before I gave my message... I was asked by one of the members, he just said to me, I thought, have you seen what I'm going to be speaking on? He said, do we have any evangelists like Billy Graham anymore? Now this person isn't a a person of faith, but everybody has heard of Billy Graham. Because when I went uh, to a Billy Graham meeting, it was on the six o'clock news every night that thousands were filling these stadiums. She said to me, we seem to, they don't seem to be the Billy Grahams of the world that there once was. And I started thinking about it. I said, well, there's probably not as many that we hear about as there were. And I said, in the UK, we still have, we have somebody called J. John. You might have heard of J. John. And I know he's, he's not filled out stadiums, but he's done recently things in um, the Emirates up in London. He's done things in um, Fratton Park when we were in, in, in Portsmouth. And he's got like 20,000 people at those events. And I don't know whether they're mainly church people at those events. Because J. John's quite, an, quite a, um, a charismatic character. I said, but maybe we don't have the same level, the number of evangelists that we used to have like Billy Graham. And then, this week I was reflecting on that. And I thought of an answer which I wish I'd given, but I didn't think about till about Wednesday. 
Does that ever happen to you? You get asked a question, and then you're thinking about it three or four days later, oh, if only I had said that. Trust me, I'm a preacher. Every week I think, if only I had said that, but also, if only I had not said that. You see, what I should have said is, no, we, we don't have the Billy Grahams necessarily that we used to have. But actually, the job of sharing Jesus with the world is not just down to them. It's down to us. The Great Commission, we don't read, you know, Billy Graham, J. John, Louis Palau, will you go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations? There's, there's no names there. It's you. It's us. Will we go into all the world and share Jesus with our neighbours, our friends and our families? It's down to everybody who has a relationship with Jesus, but often the cry of many of us is, that's just not me. I'm not an evangelist. I can't do that. And 101 other reasons why we can't. And maybe you're with me on this one. You know you should be sharing your faith. You want to be sharing your faith. But the reality is you don't. And even if you wanted to, you're not sure where to start. This morning we started a new series titled Bless. B-L-E-S-S. It's an acronym for a simple yet effective way to share our faith. To bless others. Not simply with niceties, but with the great good news of Jesus Christ. Because by knowing Jesus, we are greatly blessed. Would you agree with that? Brilliant. It's a good start, isn't it? You know, we can... Nigel was sharing some of the things, the ways that he's feel blessed this week. It's amazing that that man in that church found the one person that bought his book. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Great, that is, isn't it? He went home to his wife, he said, I've sold one copy! Only another 30,000 to go. That's great, that is. (laughs) But we can have lovely things. At the lunch last Monday, I was blessed after my message. They presented me, well, they've said it's a nice bottle of wine. I haven't tried it yet. The jury's still out. We've been blessed with lovely Christmas presents. How lovely. At Sunny Day's Christmas party, if you were here, we played a game. It was past the parcel, but everybody got a prize. It's a wonderful thing. And my prize was a, a, a full-size sellotape dispenser. Yeah. I wrapped it up and gave it to my wife. Because I knew she'd love it. And yes, I did tell her, Liz, where I got it from. But she loves it. We only had one of those little ones, those little tiddly ones. It's, it's useless. This is, a pro- this is a proper one that you get in a proper office. She was so pleased with that. We were blessed as a family last night because Gladiators was back on. And my Jen can remember as a child going to see Gladiators being filmed in Birmingham. So we were uh, reminiscing with the kids about what used to happen and it was all back on and Gladiators ready! Maybe you didn't watch it, but anyway, it's just us. But God richly blesses us. We read in Genesis, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Five times in those three verses, 
God told Abraham that he will be blessed, but it's also that he will be blessed to be a blessing. So we are blessed by knowing Jesus to be a blessing to others by sharing our faith with them. So how do we do that? And so in this new series, we're going to take this acronym BLESS, where each letter stands for something. And it's a simple and easy to understand way in which we can naturally, but intentionally, share our faith with others. It's not another cute idea, but it's a great way of how we bless our neighbours, our friends, and our families. They're called the BLESS principles. And the B stands for begin with prayer. Because we can do nothing if we don't begin with prayer. To bless our neighbours, Jesus invites us to begin with prayer. Look through some Bible passages. Look through the New Testament. Look through the Gospels. Jesus prays. Jesus is a, an amazing prayer. It's the way he lived his life. He began everything with prayer. Look at his baptism. He's praying to God and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Feeding over 5,000. He prays about how God is going to do us something miraculous and bless all of his people with food. We read often that Jesus withdraws to a lonely place, not because he's had a guts for he just wants some time out, but to pray. He prays for his friends. The night before his crucifixion in the garden, Jesus is praying. Even, even as he's being crucified, he prays to his Father. Think about the Lord's Prayer. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. Now the disciples have seen Jesus do some amazing stuff. I kind of think if I had been one of the disciples, I might have said, Jesus, that walking on water thing, that's really cool. Can you teach me how to do that? You, you, you took some fish and some bread and you made a meal for 5,000 people. I've got some bread, some beans. Can you make something amazing here, please? But no, no, no. The disciples saw all of the wonderful, almost madcap stuff that Jesus does. And yet the thing that the disciples, in all of their uh, humanness, the thing that the disciples focus in on is, Lord, teach us how to pray. Because they knew that if they knew that, everything else would flow from it. For us, we need to begin everything with prayer. We need to pray in all situations and for all people. We need to pray. Is it just me? Oh, there are people in my life just wind me up? Or is that just me, you know? There are people that, for whatever reason, they they rub us up the wrong way. We, We just can't get along with them. And let's be honest, that's not just outside of the church, is it? I've been in church for 52 years. There are people in church life that they're just not always our cup of tea. But we need to pray for everybody. Pray for these people that we're struggling with and that we find life difficult. Begin with prayer. So let me read to you from Luke chapter 6, verses 12 to 16. One day, soon afterward, Jesus went up to a mountain to pray. And he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles. Here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Now you might say, what... Why that passage today when we're beginning with prayer? 
This account in Luke's Gospel is an example from Jesus about beginning with prayer before he makes a major decision. You see, Jesus wants to know who the select few are, who those 12 are that he's really going to invest everything that he has into them. You know, it doesn't say in Scripture, but it's a fair assumption that there would have been many Jesus could have chosen from. Think about it for a moment. People would have seen Jesus baptised when there was God's voice from heaven and the Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove. They've seen him go off in the wilderness. Then Jesus' ministry starts. He, he casts out a demon. He heals many people, including Simon's mother-in-law and then many others. Jesus is seen preaching throughout Galilee. There's the miraculous catch of fish. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a paralyzed man. He teaches about fasting and the Sabbath and then he heals on the Sabbath. All of that happens before we get to this passage in Luke. There would have been countless people following Jesus around. Countless people that saw him as their rabbi. They were his disciples. There were many probably more qualified than all of the disciples that we have for the role of one of the twelve apostles of Jesus. But Jesus doesn't simply want those who are qualified. He wants those who are called. He wants those who God chose for this role. And so Jesus spends the entire night praying about this before he makes this major decision. We don't know what was said in that prayer. We don't know what was said in a lot of Jesus' prayers. I'm sure we'd love to have been a fly on the wall. He spends the entire night praying, but in the morning, Jesus has clarity from God, and he knows who he needs to choose, and through those people, God would change the world. And this is a model from Jesus for you and I to follow. When we're applying the blessed principles, we need to begin with prayer. When we begin with prayer, God gives us clarity to who God is placing on our heart, the people that he's placing on our heart to hone in on, to focus in on, to be intentional about sharing our faith. Yes, there are, there are lots of things we can do, but if we truly want people to know that Jesus wants to be at the heart of their life, then we need to begin with prayer. Prayer is a, it's an invitation. You know, we... We get to pray for our neighbours. We get to pray for our family. We get to pray for our work colleagues. We get to pray for our friends. It's a privilege, it's not a chore. And the challenge for all of us is will we make a commitment to begin with prayer for others? How do we do it? Well, we start is how we do it. Much in the same way, after Jesus has prayed, he chooses his twelve who go on to change the world Amazing things happen when we pray. So Jesus, the Son of God, could have just come up with it like that. But he doesn't. He spends time in prayer. So if we've got a major decision, if we've got people that we, we think, who, who is it that I can go and share my faith with? We start by asking God what he wants us and who he wants us to reach. And we position ourselves that, that God can do anything through us and we, we position ourselves by asking him, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to speak to today? As Corrie Ten Boom once said, we never know how God will answer our prayers, but we can expect that he will get us involved in his plan for the answer. Wow. Do you know, you, you could be today the answer to somebody else's prayer. 
You could be used by God as the answer to a prayer that's being said. Amazing and powerful things happen when we begin with prayer. Let me tell you a story about Louis. Louis went to a shopping centre and for whatever reason he notices a man sitting on a bench. And in that moment he feels a strange feeling inside of him and he knows it's God. He just senses God say, go up and tell that man that I love him. You've got to be joking, haven't you? God, I don't know this stranger sitting on a bench. I've just come to get some jeans. I'm not going to go up and tell him that you love him. So he, he shrugs it off and he, off he goes. He goes into another shop and he comes out and the man is sat there. And he hears it again. Tell that man that God loves him. He shrugs it off again and he carries on on his way. Trying to push down these feelings that he's got with inside of him. He comes out of a shop a third time and the man is still there. And he feels it so strong. Go and tell that man that God loves him. He goes, alright, I'll do it. He goes up to this man. He says, I'm sorry mate. You're going to think I'm a little bit weird. But I just want to tell you God loves you. In that moment, the man starts bawling his eyes out. Tears are streaming down his face. He said, you know, I woke up this morning and I was close to ending my life. And I prayed to God for one of the first times. And I said, God, if you are real, can you make it, can you show me your love today? Can you tell me today that you love me? And he said, you're the third person in this shopping centre who has told me today that God loves me. How amazing is that? And we can close ourselves off to all of these things. But when we begin with prayer, we, we, we never know that we might be positioning ourselves to be someone else's answer to prayer that they're crying out to God over. So how do we structure our lives so that we intentionally begin with prayer? Well, first of all, we need to plan. If we don't plan to be intentional about prayer, the chances are it won't happen. For you, that might mean setting a time every day where you, you sit down and you pray. That's your prayer time. Martin Luther is famously quoted as saying he has so much to do today that he needs to spend the first three hours in prayer. <laughs> I don't know about you, but if I've got so much to do one day, I normally get up earlier so I can get it all done. <coughs> but he didn't. He says, I've got so much to do, I'm going to pray because if I pray about it, the more I pray about it, the more I'm going to see God in my day and the more I'm going to see exactly what God wants me to do and what he doesn't want me to do. I've got a friend in um, Huntsville in Alabama in the States. His name's David. He's a lovely, lovely guy. And he, the way that he plans, he, he has lists. And he writes people's names on the list. Some of them are daily. Some of them are weekly. Some of them are monthly. And, and he pulls them out in his quiet time. And he reads through that list. And he says to God, I want you to bless these people, but is there anything on this list that, that you want to connect with my spirit and specifically pray for that person? And I feel so privileged, because me, Jem, and the kids are on the list every day. We made it onto the daily list. He obviously knows me, knows I need a lot of prayer, but we're on the daily list. And ever I, sp- I speak to David every few months, and he says to me, I pray for you and the family every single day. And I know that's not just a nice Christian cliche to say, he does it because he plans that. We will all do it differently, but we need to plan how we're going to begin with prayer. And then we need to prepare. For we need to prepare our heart for the adventure that God is going to lead us on if we're going to take this seriously. So prepare by asking God, it sounds stupid, doesn't it, but pray, asking God what he wants you to pray about. Ask him what he wants you to 
pray about. Ask him to, to help you see as he sees. Ask him to give you divine appointments with people before you go up the high street. Or before you go to have your hair done, or whatever it is that you're doing in your day. Or before you go to work, or, or whatever it is. Before you start praying for people to, to know Jesus, say to God, give me, give me three people, give me five people, give me eight people that you're going to drop into my mind and my heart that you want me to be intentional about praying for those specific people. And write them down. Write their names down. Cross-stitch them if you want to, if that's what you do. And as you're cross-stitching their name, just pray about them. You can tell I don't cross-stitch because I don't know what that is, but anyway. But can you see what I'm saying? Ask God, prepare to give you names of your neighbours that he wants you to pray for. And pray for them every single day. These are the people who do not know Jesus. And then, think of the people and the places that Jesus uh, is calling you to bless. You know, before your day, whatever you're going to do tomorrow, uh, map out in, in your head where you're going. And then ask God to help you be a blessing in those places. Be willing to show the love of Jesus to the cashier in the supermarket who is so slow. They really are slow. It's like, beep, beep, beep. You think, oh dear me. But as that person's doing that, just talk to them. (coughs) Be a blessing uh, to those people. You know, let somebody out in front of you when you're stuck in a long line of traffic. Give a tip to the taxi driver or the hairdresser or whoever it is. And then think about the people God has put on your heart and ask him, how can you be a blessing to them? Maybe there's a neighbour that God has placed on your heart. Just bake him a cake. Only if you can, that is. If you're not a baker and your food is awful, just don't make them a cake. Because that is not... Don't buy them one. That won't bless them. But, you know, it's... I've had people just knock the door and give me, give me a cake or a meal. What a blessing that is. You know, we often do it in church life when, when, when a family has a new baby. We make meals for them for a week or two. Why do we stop there? Who are, who are the people that God has placed on your heart and says, God, what can I do to bless them? You might say, make them a meal. Just give them a lift because you know they don't drive. Whatever it is. Those simple things. Ask God, what, what is it that you can do to be a blessing to someone else? And you see, in all of this, it, re- doesn't, it requires prayer, but in prayer it requires listening. It's not just the talking to God, it requires listening. That's what Jesus did before he chose his twelve disciples. Yes, he would have been talking to God, but he ended up listening uh, to God. Isn't that what Jesus does in the garden of Gethsemane, he ended up talking, actually crying out to God, take this cup away from me, but not your will, not my will, but yours. How does he know God's will? Because he shut up and he listened. He cried out to God, but he had moments of just listening to God. And he comes away from that prayer time. And he goes to the cross. He has a A sense of quiet peace, quiet resolution, quiet assurance that this is what God has told him to do. It sounds crazy to think that he would be okay with going to the cross. Because he's saying, 
he's okay with death via crucifixion and what that means. But he was okay with that. He had squared that with himself. And he went with a peaceful confidence because he had prayed to God, he had spoken to God, and he has listened. And think about it, his time on the cross, if Jesus hadn't been on the cross, that one thief would not have entered heaven. A quiet peace, because he had, he had quiet to God. He had given his shopping list, if you like, to God. But then, he just stopped and was quiet. I can't remember many of the essays that I, I had a complete when I was trained to be a minister, because it was a long time ago. But one of the essays I do remember asked this question. To simplify prayer by saying it is talking and listening to God is nothing more than childish nonsense. And I answered that question by saying prayer is talking and listening to God. It's not childish nonsense, it's childlike. Because we are children and he is father. Archbishop Fulton Sheen was an American bishop in the Catholic Church who died in 1979 and he said prayer begins by talking to God but it ends by listening to him. In the face of absolute truth, silence is the soul's language. I love that. Friends, beginning with prayer is not simply talking to God but it's being willing to be quiet and to listen to his answers. Probably the most important aspect of prayer but you know, if you, if, you, if you don't position yourself to listen to God, you may not always like. You may, if you don't position yourself to hear from God, you won't hear from me. But if you do position yourself to hear from God, you may not always like what you want to hear. <laughs> Let me start to draw this sermon to a close. Some of you will have heard of Beth Moore. She's an American uh, writer, preacher. She says... God can use us to be the answer to someone else's prayer in the most unbelievable of ways. She tells the story of when she was going between speaking engagements, she's in an airport lounge and she had a few minutes or hours of just being on her own. So she gets out of the Bible and she starts reading her Bible. And as she's reading, something began to stir within her as she was looking across at a bizarre-looking man in a wheelchair, an elderly, gaunt man with really messy and tangled hair. And these are her words. I had walked with God long enough to see the handwriting on the wall. I've learned that when I begin to feel what God feels, something so contrary to my natural feelings, something dramatic is bound to happen, I immediately began to resist. I started arguing with God in my mind, oh no, God, please no, Don't make me witness to that man. Then I heard it. I don't want you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. Can you imagine? I want you to brush his hair. The words were so clear, my heart leapt into my throat and my thoughts spun like a top. After several agonising moments trying to reason with God that this prompting was ridiculous, a red-faced and tentative Beth approached the old man and knelt down before him. May I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? She asked him. To which he responded in volume set at ten, Little lady, if you expect me to hear you, you're going to have to talk a little louder than that. At this point, I took a deep breath and blurted out, Sir, may I have the pleasure of brushing your hair? At which point, every eye in the place turned and looked at her. 
I watched him look up at me with absolute shock on his face and say, if you really want to, are you kidding? Of course I didn't want to, but God didn't seem interested in my personal preference right about then. Yes, sir, I would be pleased, but I have one little problem. I don't have a hairbrush. I have one in my bag, he responded. She gets the hairbrush out. She starts brushing the old man's hair. She says, a miraculous thing happened to me as I started brushing this old man's hair. Everybody else seemed to disappear. There was no one alive for those moments except that old man and me. I brushed and brushed and brushed until every tangle was out. I know this sounds so strange, but I've never felt that kind of love for another soul in my entire life. I believe with all my heart, I, for that few minutes, felt a portion of the very love of God. The emotions were so strong and so pure that I knew they had to be God. His hair was finally as soft and smooth as an infant's. I slipped the brush back in the bag, went around the chair to face him. I got back down on my knees, put my hands on his knees and said, Sir, do you know my Jesus? He said, Yes, I do. I've known him since I married my bride. She wouldn't marry me until I got to know the Saviour. He said, You see, the problem is I haven't seen my bride in months. I've had open heart surgery and she's been too ill to come and see me. I was sitting here thinking to myself, what a mess I must look before I see my wife. Wow. All because she was willing to put herself in a place to begin with prayer to hear from God. I don't know about you as we close. I, I don't want to simply hear these amazing stories. I want to experience them. Amen? I want to experience these stories. What would it look like to allow God to enter into our lives like never before? What are the names? What are the places? If you have no idea, start to ask God to give you names and places and situations. Before you go, up, before you go out for a coffee, before you go out for a meal, just say, God... If it is your will, give me a divine moment today. Maybe you think you can't do much. Maybe you think you've got to a season in life where your days are getting, of getting out there and doing all this stuff are over. Let's be honest, that can be because of our age. We get to an age where we physically, we can't do what we once did. Let me tell you, God still has something for you. Let me tell you a story as I close. And this, I am closing with this. An old Scottish lady I knew once called Winnie Borthwick. Good Scottish name, Borthwick. She died at 101. I knew her when she was in her 90s. I spent many hours with Winnie. going to visit. She couldn't get out, but going to visit her, chatting with her. Every so often she'd come to church as she was having a good day, but not very often. But she was a solid woman of faith. I remember chatting with Winnie about all the different things she had seen in life. She saw electricity becoming commonplace in the home. She saw the invention of television. She saw two world wars. She saw so much stuff. But she also shared stories of how God had used her miraculously in the past. She never said, oh, but those days are gone. God can't use me anymore. Because one thing that she could do was write. And she would write letters to people in church. And she would get her daughter to post them. And it was, it was always a joy when you got a letter from Winnie Borthwick. 
She had poetry in her voice. Her pen just said the most amazing things. She would tell me, I, I, I always pray before I write to somebody. And then she heard of a ministry where people would write to people in prisons. And as she heard of that ministry, something leapt in her heart. She would have been about 95 at this time. And so she just started writing letters to complete strangers in prisons. And before she wrote a letter, she would always pray, God, what do you want me to say to whoever this person is? And she would listen. And she would write it down in a letter. And she got to write so many letters. She got to share with complete strangers how much God loves them. And how much God wants to give them a second chance. It was just the most amazing of ministry that she started when she was about 95 years of age. So let's never say, God's got nothing for me. What is it that God wants you to do? God used Winnie in ways she could never imagine. She just had to be willing. And she began with prayer. Friends, for the church to grow, it means you and I have to reach people with the love of Jesus. If we don't, they're not going to know it. And it begins with prayer. I believe with all my heart that if we all get involved, we're going to see God do some amazing things and bring people into the kingdom. More than we've seen before. And it all starts if you and I will join together and begin with prayer. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for these true stories that we've heard about uh, this morning. Father, I want to thank you that they're not just uh, fables, they're not just fairy stories, they're, they're truths, they're, they're accurate accounts of how you have worked in people's lives. Father, I want to thank you that there are people in the kingdom of God because somebody started to pray for them. And somebody started to do something almost innocent for them. And it started a journey that ended with them coming to know Jesus. Father, we are all here. We may have a faith in you all because somebody who we still don't know began by praying for us. And over, it could have been months, it could have been years, small stepping stones happened that ultimately saw us falling in love with Jesus. How do we do that for others? Father, will you show us and may we reach others with the love of Jesus. Bless you, Father. Thank you. Amen.